It is probably not possible to pass through a world-changing event like the coronavirus pandemic without coming to some pretty important understandings and realizations. When the things we took for granted were no longer possible, we realized anew how important they really are. And for the church around the world, this was true first and foremost of worship. When we could not worship together, when the act of singing itself became a public health danger that we couldn't safely do, well, suddenly we realized how much we longed to worship. Today on Groundwork, we'll think about worship as a spiritual discipline central to the Christian life. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, uh, we're in the third program now of a seven-part series on spiritual disciplines, our second series. We actually did a series on spiritual disciplines uh, previously on Groundwork, but we didn't get through all the possible ones in that one, so we're revisiting the ones we didn't get to in the first series. And we've been thinking about things like Sabbath-keeping and commitment-keeping. We're going to be thinking about confession and then also prayer, uh, fellowship, reconciliation. But on this program, we're going to think about worship. Yes, uh, we are. And worship to most Christians, I think, just seems like the natural thing that we feel we want to do. As you said in the introduction, this year has been so weird. And one of the hardest things for me personally has been not being able to go in person with the congregation in the building that we meet in habitually and sing and praise God and listen to his word and receive communion, all the things that make up worship that we've been mostly deprived of. Uh, Yeah, you can do some stuff online virtually. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the technology. But nevertheless, boy, we miss that. Yeah, and some churches did uh, find some creative ways to begin coming back together in person because people wanted it so badly, but a lot of those have gone back to streaming uh, as we've come uh, to the beginning of 2021. The winter, the virus continues to have spread. We hope uh, vaccines and such will make it possible for us to gather again safely, but it's been a much, much longer stretch. Some of us thought when the pandemic began in early 2020, it'd be just a few weeks. Maybe we'd be back in time for Easter, we thought. Well, we're hopefully maybe could be back for Easter 2021. Uh, We certainly didn't come close in 2020. So we want to think about worship in this program as also a discipline that we don't always think of it's a discipline, but it is. And one of the things that we want to set out right at the beginning of this program, and we're going to be returning to it in a bit, is the idea that worship is both expressive and formative. Right. Now, the expressive part, Dave, that's the part we get easy. Yeah, uh, we express our praise. We express God's greatness. We speak to one another and to ourselves of the glory of God and the goodness of God, and our hearts are sort of lifted up and we sing. But that formative thing is deeply significant. It's absolutely crucial to understand that by gathering to worship, something happens to us, our lives are shaped, our theology is shaped, the truth is reinforced for us. You know, Scott, I mean, one of the things, without writing this uh, to death, but the, the whole idea of not being able to worship in person in the pandemic, and one of the things that surprised me 
is Christians who I know and love who've said, well, I don't really miss it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to just sit in my pajamas on the couch and watch it on TV. And I, I think I want to say to you that's so deeply wrong because the act of coming together in worship will form and shape our lives and will help us to live not just for God on Sunday or for an hour uh, Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday as well. Exactly. And that formative part of worship, well, we'll be returning to that. A lot of that does fall on worship planners and leaders and pastors to shape worship services, which will in turn shape us. And that requires some intentionality, and we'll be thinking about that. But first, let's just note, Dave, that no matter how far back in the Bible you go, you find acts of worship right from the get-go. Adam and Eve were able to do it before the fall into sin, just Naturally, God would walk with them in the garden, and we'll think about that in the prayer program coming up in this series, too. But as far back as you go, we can think of even Cain and Abel. Yeah, Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices, one acceptable, the other not. Perhaps, we're not quite sure what was going on there, but perhaps because Abel made his offering in faith, that's what Hebrews says. Or think of that interesting but rather strange story in Genesis 14, where Abraham comes before Melchizedek, this mysterious mm, king right. of Solomon of peace, and offers him a tithe of his property, of his spoils, and uh, Melchizedek blesses him. That's an act of worship. That's an act of offering. So it goes way back, even before the law with all its requirements and, and rules and rituals. Yeah. And once the law did come, once Israel was a nation, and we did a series on groundwork just recently uh, on the book of Leviticus, and large parts of Leviticus are all about the regulating the ins and outs of sacrifice and worship, first at the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness, and then later at the temple in Jerusalem. And there's a lot in the Bible about worship. In fact, I, I, li I like this from First Chronicles, a book we don't often read probably, but First Chronicles 15, David is preparing to help Israel worship God. And we read from First Chronicles 15, verse 16, David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments lyres, harps, and cymbals. And so the Levites appointed Haman, son of Joel. And then there's a whole long list of names of people who are going to play cymbals, bronze cymbals, and lyres, and harps. And then we read this in verse 22, Kenaniah, the head Levite, was in charge of the singing. That was his responsibility because he was skillful at it. I like that. Yeah. Uh, he was a good singer, so they put him in charge of it, right? But there you go. 3,000 years ago, Israel had a choir director, a choir, and a praise band. Yeah, how about that? So if you're complaining about instruments in your church, uh, go back and check out uh, the, the Levites in the Old Testament. Uh, or think of the book of Psalms. You know, Psalms has been called Israel's hymn book. All of these songs that we still sing, many of them in paraphrase form or even directly quoting from the Psalms. And in fact, there's a whole section of Psalms that is often separated out and studied on their own called the Psalms of Ascents because those are the songs that the pilgrims sang as they were going up to Jerusalem for the great festival. So you get Psalm 122, for example, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city closely compacted together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. So this impulse to praise, it's running throughout the whole Old Testament. With great enthusiasm, you know, there's just this jump 
up-and-down excitement that these pilgrims uh, expressed as they went to Jerusalem to praise God. As my Old Testament professor John Steck used to say, God, there's a sense in which you can say God was enthroned on the praises of God's people. Uh, worship has been a part of the life of believers for as long as God has had a relationship with us, which means from the get-go. Right. Uh, it's all through the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament? We'll delve into that next. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Dave Bast, along with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork, where today, in the midst of a series on spiritual disciplines or practices or habits that can help us grow in our relationship with God, we're talking about worship, not just in general uh, expressing our praise, but as a formative discipline that can shape our faith and our lives of obedience to God. And as we saw in the Old Testament, worship was focused. It could happen anywhere, but over time, the focus and the locus of worship was the temple in Jerusalem. Right. People would make pilgrimage there. You'd go there for the... So if you really wanted to worship God, you you went to Jerusalem and to the temple. Which incidentally is why in some of the Psalms, you have this longing expressed. And I think of Psalm 42, where the psalmist is bummed because he's cut off from the temple right. and he feels like he can't worship in right. this faraway place. Partly because they also believe that's literally where God was located. The, the temple was God's earthly home and headquarters. He sat on the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. So if you were far from the temple, there was a sense in which you felt far from God. But in the New Testament, this gets universalized, right? We think of Jesus' words in Matthew 18, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. That's from Matthew 18. And Emmanuel, God with us, is the theme of Matthew's gospel, of course. Comes up at the beginning and again at the end. I am with you always. So now we know that wherever God's people gather, be it even only two or three, (laughs) their true worship can happen because God is as present to us there as the Israelites felt he was present to them in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. Yeah, God is now dwelling in bodily form in Jesus. And one of the great themes of the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, is that Jesus is the new temple. The temple of his body is what will be broken and rebuilt in three days, he says in John 2, referring to his resurrection. Or in John 4, where Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, he's talking about their, uh, I believe, Trinitarian worship. We worship the Father by the Spirit through the truth or in the truth who is Jesus himself. So in Jesus, it's no longer about a place. We sometimes talk about our churches as sanctuaries, which means literally a holy place. But it's really only holy when the people gather there in the spirit and in the name of Jesus to worship. 
And so then we get this admonition from Hebrews 10 reminding us that the the most holy place, which used to be just one place, is now anywhere where Christ is present through the Spirit. Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there it is. Don't neglect meeting together. And you can meet anywhere. So you see in the New Testament, they met first in an upper room. That became, in effect, the first church building or room. Uh, They met wherever they could. And eventually, they would meet in caves and in catacombs underground in the city of Rome to worship. Uh, The key thing was that they were meeting uh, in the name of Jesus and with the Spirit of Jesus there as well. And they were singing and praising God and offering their worship to God in that way. So we read a a classic passage about that in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we're singing our praise to God, but interestingly, Paul says there, we're also singing to one another. We're encouraging one another by our worship as we worship together. We're all kind of lifted up into the presence of God. Yeah, which is probably why it seems like we're hardwired to want to worship something. Everybody worships something. (laughs) It's just a matter of whether your worship is rightly directed or wrongly directed. Uh, And if it's directed toward money or success or your career or your ego, then it's wrongly directed. It's idolatry. But if it's rightly directed, it goes to God. And worship involves, in the midst of all that singing, and music and singing have been part of worship from the get-go, it seems like. We saw that verse uh, earlier from 1 Chronicles 15 with David, appointing someone to be the lead singer and choir director. Because worship involves principally two things in terms of the expressive part of worship, particularly thanksgiving and praise. Thanks and praise. They're related, but they're a little bit different. Thanksgiving is expressing gratitude, right? And how much thanks you, you express depends on what was given to you, right? If somebody slips you a dollar so you can get a bag of chips from the vending machine on a day you forgot your lunch, a quick thanks will do it. But if somebody donates a kidney to save your life, uh, you're probably going to think about saying thanks to that person every single day from from then on out. So thanks is sort of uh, something we can just do between you and me, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Scott. Praise is a little different. It is. So we give thanks to God in worship Uh, chiefly, above all, for what he's done for us in Jesus, for sending Jesus, for Jesus' life and death and resurrection, for his ascension, for his heavenly session, which is why we can worship even when things may not be going so well for us, humanly speaking, or in, in terms of this life, but we always have Jesus. But praise is what you do 
when you're really excited about something. You can't help but praise it to others. So praise is thanks directed outwards. You just can't resist telling somebody else about this great restaurant you found and how good the meal was or this great channel you discovered on YouTube. And man, is that ever fun? I, I look at it every day. You should go check it out. Uh, that's praise. It's, it's telling someone else about the great things that we found in God. And inviting them to join you in your enthusiasm, right? I love this restaurant. You should go too, and then you'll want to thank the chef. Uh, if you ever get asked to do a promotional blurb for a book, you know, they print it on the back cover of the book. It's another author's book, not your own, right? You're saying, this is an important and vital work. Everybody should read this. In other words, I'm praising the author and I'm inviting others to join the choir with me. And both things, Dave, both thanks and praise are, as Neil Plantinga says, just merely fitting, yeah. right? It's fitting in all of life. It's when you receive something good, it's fitting and it should be natural to say thanks. And in fact, when we encounter ingratitude, something in us naturally recoils. We're not 10 lepers cleansed. Mm. Where are the nine? Jesus asked. Even a, Jesus. A famous yeah. healing story uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Only one, a Samaritan, returned to thank him. So, yeah, we have so much to thank God for. And we want to praise him as well. We want to encourage others. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, says the psalmist. That's what worship involves. And that's why it's significant and important for us. But we said earlier that worship is formative. And we want to look at how that works a little bit more closely in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. So one of the things we've really stressed here in this program about worship is that it is both expressive of our thanks and our praise, and it's formative of our faith and life. And that's the part that involves it also being a discipline. This is something we need to do thoughtfully and intentionally. And we need worship planners and worship leaders and choir directors and pastors to help us uh, with that by their planning worship that will form habits in us and rhythms in us, which is the heart of what makes it a discipline. But again, sometimes the expressive part kind of takes care of itself. And sometimes the expressive part takes over. And I don't know about you, Dave, but I've been in churches where the service is basically all singing. Um, there's really no beginning, middle, or end. There's no confession of sin. There's no rhythm. There's maybe just a short prayer somewhere. There might be an offering, a sermon, but it's mostly just singing. And if the songs are good, it's uplifting. And if the songs are done well, yeah, that's a lot of fun. And it's, it, it is uplifting, but is it forming 
rhythms in us? Was the service laid out in a way to establish certain things? My colleague John Whitfleet calls worship Trinitarian New Covenant Renewal, which seems like a big a big mouthful. jargon. Yeah. yeah, but it's really basically saying we want the worship to be Trinitarian. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, Dave, in this program, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we want the whole drama of salvation rehearsed for us. Right. We want to celebrate what's old and retell the story somehow every single week. Novelty in worship is not a good thing yeah. uh, necessarily. We want to rehearse what's old. Scott, you and I for many, many years have been involved in planning worship services. Not so much for me lately, but still for all those years, it goes much further and deeper, or at least it should, than simply trying to pick a, a song right. that goes with the sermon. So Trinitarian, start with that. We worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit in the person and presence of the Spirit. So we remind ourselves of that. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, an old gospel hymn says. But also, there can be a structure. In classic Reformed worship, it's sort of a three-part structure of approaching God, hearing God's Word, and then responding to that Word with prayer and thanksgiving and offering and faith, and going out then resolve to live for God through the week. So approach, word, and response is a structure that has often been given to Reformed worship. And we get some of that from Isaiah 6. Here's a pattern of worship that the church has long paid attention to. Isaiah writes, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings and so forth, and they were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. So there's a pattern there, Dave. We yeah. see the glory of God, we join the glory of Praise, God. Praise, thanksgiving. Yeah. But then we look back at our own lives and say, hmm, I'm not quite that holy myself. I need to confess. And that's why confession of sin in the approach part of the service is really integral to formative worship. It reminds us who we are. We're going to have a whole program coming up on confessing sin, including confessing it in worship. Fundamentally, it helps us stop denying the truth about God and ourselves. That's, that's what it can do for us. But also then, what was called often in uh, classic liturgies, the absolution, the words of forgiveness, the reminder that God is merciful. And as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to quote from First uh, John chapter 1. And then we're ready to listen to God, to hear from his word. And we believe that as one great confession of faith calls it, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. God actually speaks when the Bible is proclaimed and preached. And then finally we respond to that Word with faith and thanksgiving and gratitude. And offerings, and we confess maybe using a great creed or other statement. We rehearse our faith again. Trinitarian New Covenant renewal, where we're just you know rehearsing who we are before God, who God is, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, and then we go out 
under the benediction, the, the blessing of God, which is so beautiful. As a friend of mine used to say, if you got to church really, really late and the only part of the whole service you caught was the benediction, it still would be worth showing up for because that's how important it is to live under the blessing of God. And we know, Dave, that what we do on earth now is just a faint echo of what's going on all yeah. the time in heaven, as John saw uh, in Revelation chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So he quotes Isaiah's vision. Right. This is being said in heaven, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, worthy is the Lord, yeah. Right, and again, John wasn't seeing a vision of the future. God pulled the curtain back to show this is what's going on right now. We were created to worship. We see that already in the book of Genesis. It's natural, it's fitting, and we're getting ready to join that heavenly chorus that John saw. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening and digging deeply into scripture with Groundwork today. We're your hosts, Dave Bast and Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we study the scriptures to better understand the spiritual discipline of confession. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 